The reading is from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Be patient, therefore, sisters and brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, sisters and brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, sisters and brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my sisters and brothers, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the fifth chapter, beginning at the 33rd verse. Glory be to thee, O Christ. Jesus said, Again you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, by your truth you have set us apart as your people, and your word is truth, and so may the words of our mouth be true according to the teaching and pattern of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now remember uh, when you were first getting to know your best friend or your spouse? Like, how, how did those uh, first moments play out when you started to click with each other? I mean, perhaps it was immediate, or it took some time to build up. But I could probably say that the case was that what cemented your bond together with your friend or with your spouse were numerous, numerous conversations over time sharing, uh, connecting, discovering each other in your stories, in your histories, likes and dislikes, hopes and fears, everything and anything that you can talk about. Now, can you imagine going in, in your relationships right now without conversations, without words, where no one could say anything or understand anyone? Can you imagine those kinds of relationships it would be near impossible to have a meaningful relationship. See, being able to communicate is not just a privilege, but a prerequisite to personal relationship. 
See, generally words and language are the primary vehicles by which we get ourselves across to the other side. Whoever or whatever might receive what we're trying to get across. I mean, in and of themselves, words are just bits of data strung together in patterns, but they carry information. That is meaningful data. Information is meaningful data. They carry truth. They carry meaning. Words carry the freight of what's real, what's true, what's meaningful about the world, about reality, and about ourselves. I'm, I'm starting out rather philosophical here for us to consider for a moment what we often take for granted in our relationships. And that is our capacity to communicate, to convey our inner hidden selves to others, to apprehend and comprehend others in the world around us. And it is, in fact, our collective desire and hope that what is communicated, what is conveyed by us and to us, is, in fact, true. That it's real. What we're receiving is meaningful. It's good. That the substance of truth is not lost in the semantics. But it is in and through semantics that the substance of truth is, in fact, and truly conveyed. Now, we move along in the Sermon on the Mount, and we are on a piece of Jesus' teaching on taking oaths, which is still in practice today. We haven't moved on from that. His teaching here is not so much about the method or technique of how you take oaths, but he's getting at the heart, as usual with Jesus, he's getting at the heart of why would we would say anything at all, which is ultimately about telling the truth. It's about telling the truth. Now, Tim began our series with the, promise of, uh, with the premise of love is the fulfillment of the law. law. The law is getting at love. And Jesus here is touching on another piece of the core of love, how love is expressed and fulfilled in and with our words, with our words to others. Because what upholds all our personal relationships is, in fact, it's truth, honesty, integrity. What would happen to our friendships our marriages to our families, the social fabric, if they were absolutely drained out of truth. That is, if we just kept crossing our fingers behind our backs whenever we would say anything, if there's more fine print and asterisk in the contract has been handed to you than what's plainly read, if everyone is just projecting a version of themselves all the time, See, our relationships will be hollowed out. Where there is no truth, there is no trust, no foundation for the house, no trellis for the vine, no roots for the tree, no stem for the bud, no room for love to grow. So Jesus brings us to the heart of our personal relationships, and that involves our words. So I invite us to turn in your Bibles or your apps, or you can grab a pew Bible, let's turn to the New Testament, and we're on Matthew 5, verse 33. It's a very short section. Jesus here is bringing up another rabbinic tradition to consider. And he says, again, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
Now, that's not a direct quote from the law of Moses, but it's a distillation of several laws around swearing and taking oaths. It's been boiled down to this one sentence. Don't back out of your promises, but do for God what you swore to do. That sounds good. That sounds reasonable, right? But Jesus repudiates this tradition, not because of what it actually teaches, but what the tradition actually ended up becoming. See, over time, the tradition around this practice made it to be about the way you made your vows rather than about the vows themselves. The concern became mainly about how did you swear your oath? Or by what? Or by whom did you swear? It's no longer about how or when will you fulfill your vow or most importantly, did you do your vow? That wasn't a question anymore. Now, thinking back, perhaps back when you were a kid, you and your friends hung out around the schoolyard one recess time, and you know, there's always that one chatty kid who has something ridiculous to say. And then they come running, they have another story to share, gathers all his peeps around, and they go, oh, you won't believe what I found yesterday in my backyard. I was digging up my mom's back, uh, garden, and we found this huge old treasure chest. It was bigger than me. Everyone goes like, whoa, no way, are you for real? And the kid goes, oh, cross my heart. Everyone's like, you hope to die? And the kid rejoins, oh, stick a needle in my eye. Oh, with the many oaths, everyone's trust and attention are secured. And on and on they go. Now, whether or not the story is true, that's not really the point. Because anything goes with children among their peers, you know, just so them some street cred could be gained. You could earn some cool points. You could grab some attention. You ascend up the popularity level among your friends. It doesn't really matter what story you have to share. You can embellish it as much as you want. And you know what? It's no different for grown-ups. Only that we've mastered sophisticated forms to hype ourselves in front of others. We oversell something then what it's actually worth. We'll scam people. We'll legalize waves to uh, back out of commitments. We punch loopholes into laws and contracts. We will gaslight and manipulate our way in our relationships because, you know what, there's money, there's power, there's fame to be had at their expense, and I want to have that. And this is why oaths still exist German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer noted that the existence of oaths is a sign that we live in a world of lies. He said that an oath consigns all other statements to the darkness of doubt. An oath becoming necessary to inject an ounce of truth to your words because you are among a people of treacherous lips and we are among a people of suspicious hearts. The Greek word for oath comes from the same word for fence, for fencing. Now, we had heard earlier from Tim about these fence laws, these extra laws that the rabbis made and constructed around Old Testament laws so that you wouldn't get too close to trampling over them. So you put partitions around them. You've got to protect these laws. Oaths are fences that are built around your words, around the vows you've made. 
so you wouldn't get too close to breaking them or kicking them over. See, they're like the velvet ropes around the Mona Lisa in the Louvre in Paris, right? These uh, ropes, they signal that the Mona Lisa, that's the real deal. Don't get too close. It's the real deal. Oaths work the same way. You enclose your words, your vows with velvet ropes. You fence them all up so that people will know, you're signaling to people, my words, they're the real deal. I will make an oath. This is a real deal word. Now what the religious leaders did was that they focused on the fences themselves. The oaths people used around their vows. They were questioning, what are these fences made out of? If they're made out of the name of God, you better not cross them. But if they're made out of anything or anyone other than the name of God, you know, there's, there, there's wiggle room. So they created this tiered system, a hierarchy and a class of oaths that were in various degrees binding or breakable. Now we hear more about this system of oaths from Jesus later on in chapter 23. He calls it two-faced. This is what he says. Woe to you blind guides who say, if, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold, the gold of the temple, you're bound by that oath. You blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, then you're bound by the oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? These fence laws literally sectioned the world into compartments and functionally kept God in or kept God out of people's words and promises, depending whether you used his name or not. That's just silliness. That's just foolishness. Jesus trampled all over these fences to demonstrate how flimsy they were. He says it doesn't matter by what, by whom, or how you take your oaths. Because everything you say is binding because everything you swear upon belongs to God. And everything you say is said in the presence of God. So what? You did not invoke the name of God. Oh, you invoked heaven? Guess what? God is sitting on it. You invoke the earth. God has his feet up on it. You invoke Jerusalem. God is king over it. Oh, you invoke your own head. God owns every strand of hair. He makes it black. He makes it white. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Don't ever swear. Now, that line from Jesus, that's hotly debated. I mean, did he mean this in an absolute sense or otherwise? Uh, Jesus himself would later testify under oath uh, before the Jewish Supreme Court that he is God's son. So he did it himself. So I don't think Jesus meant this in the absolute sense. Uh, Rather, Jesus is teaching his followers to speak truth in such a way as to make swearing or taking an oath obsolete. You don't need to do that. Why would you swear at all? I mean, followers of Jesus shouldn't need to swear at all because Christians, we would hope, Christians are known for speaking the truth always, all the time. 
Christians are always honest. We hope that was the case. That we would simply be saying yes or no. Let what you say be simply yes or no. The uh, late Anglican priest John Stott, this is what he wrote. We're not content to say we had an enjoyable time. Now we have to describe it as fantastic, or that was fabulous, or fantabulous, or some other invention. But the more we resort to such expressions, the more we devalue language and promise uh, Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. Our unadorned word should be enough. Yes, no. And when the monosyllable shall do, why waste our breath by adding to it? Say what we mean. Mean what we say. Let our yes be yes. Now, it's been some time since we're into a full year with everything open. And yet again, we're bombarded with too many things vying for our attention, our commitments. Now, there's this uh, recent phenomenon uh, coined last year in 2021, well, two years ago. uh, It's called by the acronym FOBO, a fear of better options. Decades ago, we had FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. That was back in 2004. Now we have FOBO, the fear of better options. COVID contributed to this in some way. That is when we learn not to overcommit. That's a good thing. But then we got too far even. Then that we do not commit at all for fear that there are now better options than what we were used to in the past few years. That there could be safer options or just the option to not be bothered at all. See, these past few years of having no choice at all got us used to just sticking to ourselves, for ourselves. We had to. And now we're back to having all the choices again, and we've become more tentative in our schedules, our considerations, guarded with our yeses, giving them out only when we're absolutely sure we've made the right and best decision for me or my family. There's wisdom in that, absolutely, for sure. You've got to exercise discretion. But we can actually be operating in fear. We're scared. We're still afraid. We want to self-preserve. We want to preserve our family, our kids. Slowly, not knowing that we're disinterested in disengaging with the world, with what's out there, even for you, for your kids. And so we would miss out on the joy and the reward of sacrifice on that risky adventure of stepping out with both feet into the mess of the present, into that fog of the future. And that's where God is beckoning us to come and see, come out of your fears, come out of your comforts, come out of your apprehensions and doubts. Give yourselves away again to the pleasure of service, to the pleasure of loving and being loved to the pleasure of finding Jesus and His Spirit at work in places, in situations that we are not used to anymore. Let's press into our yes. Let's be fully and faithfully committed to what we affirm and have taken up with our words, what we have vowed 
in our relationships. Let our no be no. Let our no be no. Now, the opposite is also true. Many of us find it difficult to decline opportunity. There is the FOMO still working. It's hard to say no. We're always around, running everywhere, pleasing everyone, fixing everything. Perhaps we cannot stand being by ourselves, to be idle, to do nothing. And we're distracting ourselves from our own thoughts, our own griefs, our own fears, the nag in our brain, those worries. Perhaps we've placed our worth in being busy, being productive, being liked. Perhaps you're feeling trapped. You're just overstretched. You're running on fumes and you're in these situations where you're pressed to abandon yourself, your values, what you love and care to give up on your own integrity. You're in these situations at work or you're trapped in these relationships. When you want to give in and scratch again that chronic and addictive itch, you can say no. When you need a break, you can say no. When you're pressured to cut corners or to fudge, you can say no. When you are to gain at somebody's expense, you can say no. When you feel adrift from God, from family, from friends, from yourself, you can say no, stop, not anymore, no longer, never again. Press into your no. Let's be fully and faithfully committed to what we denounce, what we stand against, against evil, injustice, abuse in all our relationships. Anything more than yes, more than no, comes from evil. That is our needing to say more so that we can assure or trust anyone. It proves that we live in a world of falsehoods and disbelief, a world of evil. And worse, a world still manipulated by the devil. But Jesus, but Jesus has overcome this world of evil, of falsehood, of lies. He defeated the devil, the father of all lies. He who swore an oath in his own name will fulfill in his time what he vowed to do in his own son. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Yes, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we say our amen, our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who established us with you in Christ, anointed us has put his seal on us, given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Oh, do you hear that? Not only did God give us his word, he gave us his only word, Jesus Christ, in whom all promises are yes and amen. And as though we still need more to be convinced, God gave us another deposit, another guarantee. You want, he's going to prove to us how much he loves us. He gave us his spirit inside of us. And by him and by his power, we can be people. We can become people right now who say what we mean and mean what we say. People who are truthful 
who are honest, people who are in, have integrity, people who are like Jesus. So this is my prayer that the words of our mouth will always be true in our relationships, fulfilling what we vowed and swore to do in our marriages, in our friendships, in baptisms, in our commitments and promises. To the end that God's word may be believed and obeyed by people, especially us. And that God's word, Jesus Christ, may be worshipped and glorified. We are sanctified by his word. His word is enough. His word is truth. To him be glory forever. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.